first of all, I just really want to explain that this is really about the idea of composition, musical composition itself, being a performative medium for criticism. I'm choosing my language extremely careful, carefully to avoid saying that music is language. Um, and also, you know, there is an interesting issue with music. And as on the one hand, music is traditionally thought to be slightly intangible and resistant to critical language, to normal ways of discussion. Um, and in the last 100 years, there's been a response to this by ever more analytical, form-based discussions of music that really falls completely outside the sphere of the discussion that we could have today. This is a very sort of specialised critical discourse. And at the same time, a, a compensating discourse, such as what as you read in Gramophone magazine or other journals, where you know uh, other forms of discourse are quite sort of uncritically used to discuss music. Um, and, but that is really, really not a, what I am my main issue to discuss today. It's really the idea of musical composition itself, how it refers to itself, how it can actually be parasitic on itself um, as a critical language. Um, and the first thing to discuss is the idea um, of musical grammars, coherence and meaning, this idea that you mentioned that actually form is in some sense a guarantor of musical meaning. Um, and the efforts of composers actually to evade this and to actually destroy this idea actually begins as early as the music of Mahler. If you look at and listen to his symphonies, you get this sense of forms being alluded to and then sort of exhausted in the, in, in the actual course of the music being played. Um, and so there's a sense of, it, of, of a kind of an imminent critique happening with respect to categories of ideas and form that musicians are aware of that is, makes the music actually even more difficult to interpret. Um, but what I'd like to actually consider is Schoenberg's music um, and the idea of a music that actually resists conventional interpretation. Um, and in a piece called Erwartung, uh, Schoenberg came up with a new idea of composing. Normally, music refers, in a sense, to harmony that we understand, um, that we can actually explain in various forms of discourse. But in this particular piece, he quite willfully spreads the harmony so that the notes actually happen successively rather than together, and then overlays completely different chords on top of each other to a point that it actually resists ready um, in um, comprehension. And so what I actually would have played, showed you would be a score where this happens, uh, and I'm just going to play you some of this music. And there's a sense in which this, there's an element of critique about this music, critique of old uh, languages and forms readily associated with um, negative dialectics, simply due to the fact that Adorno studied um, with Schoenberg. He studied composition with Schoenberg's pupil, and in a sense, there is a kind of a relationship between contemporary music and critical theory. 
Um, and you could say that, as Lydia Gurr does in my handout, that in a sense, this music, as in negative dialectics, holds a language back from its complete articulation to preserve a suspended space for expression through a form of compositional technique of suspension. So by this approach, whereby he's composing deliberately in an obfuscatory way, by conventional means of expression, he is actually creating a new form of rhetoric, a kind of suspended sense of articulation, of distancing from these sort of formal archetypes that we're talking about. In about 50 years later, this problem was taken up by a composer called Pierre Boulez, who actually stated at the moment of greatest radicalism in 1953, I wanted to remove from my musical vocabulary absolutely every trace of what had been handed down to me, whether this consisted of figures, phrases, means of developing them, or the form. And you can see, you can actually hear in this music a sense of tracelessness. Um, Later on, the same composer talks about, in a Malamé-like fashion, the idea of the disappearance of the poet, um, yielding to the initiative to the words themselves. Now, there is an issue here to do with uh, critical musical languages. So we're looking at an avant-garde European tradition and a hugely different musical situation, namely in Soviet Russia, where the aesthetics of socialist realism actually uh, place a, a greatly different um, imperative for a composer than a composer working in the 1950s in Germany. And this is a thought about the music that comes out of Soviet music culture, the most famous exponent being Shostakovich, whose music you may already know. It's the idea, actually, that the historical distance that composers composed with in Europe uh, was not possible in Soviet music because of this aesthetic of socialist realism. And in a sense, what composers worked with, it was an unmediated work um, with signs, with musical signs. Um, And so the music that we hear coming out of this culture um, where it, whether it be something like Shostakovich or Pavel Pert, in a sense is directly um, working and um, achieving a kind of dominion over particular form of signs that we would not find in other composers' music. The full 25 years after the Buddhas. And so you have a completely different sort of musical culture, different musical discourse. Um, and this is a very effective, critical use of that discourse. So now I want to move to another critical, performative type of musical um, approach, which is um, actually to do with the way musical instruments are actually performed. Um, A composer called Helmut Lachmann created a new type of music called Music Instrumental Concrete, where literally playing techniques um, departed to the point that, say, a string player would not even be playing the strings on his cello. It became like a sort of an action piece where I'm afraid one of the images that I lost uh, was actually a picture of the score where the whole process of playing a cello is broken down 
into um, elements such as the bowing is um, notated separately from actually the notes that you're playing. And so we actually achieve as kind of a, a, a new type of music that um, is sound-based. Again, he's referring to these forms, but the combination of the action and um, the extremely unusual uh, repertoire of sounds that he creates constitutes, in a sense, a critique. Play a piece of his called a canto, which is a clarinet concerto. The clarinetist basically never plays his instrument in a normal form. He begins by just playing with the mouthpiece and then sort of blowing through various parts of the instrument. Um, and uh, at the same time, there is an orchestra that plays fragmented versions of forms that we can barely hear. Um, the music is sort of atomized. There's a sense of this is a German composer composing almost in a situation of a musical Stunde Null after 1945. At the back of the orchestra, there is a reel-to-reel tape recorder that is playing Mozart's clarinet concerto soundlessly. So <laughs> there is this sort of implied relationship between this music, the music of the Mozart and the Lachermann, um, but about 10 minutes of the piece, we are suddenly afforded a glimmer of the Mozart in this extremely distorted um, context. Um, and so it's a very interesting problematic relationship between the Lachermann and the Mozart. And at this particular point, we begin to hear what appear to be scales in the clarinet part. So the actual sort of elements of the Mozart that you recognize are on the surface of the Lachermann. And then another typical Mozartian uh, technique is sort of re repeated notes in the accompaniment. We also hear those. Um, and so we have this very clear sense of a critical relationship between the Lachermann, which in a sense is comprised of many structural layers, the most obvious of which is the Mozart, which you can barely hear coming in about 20 seconds into this extra. Wow. 